Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the uh, women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first Iron Women podcast live event here in Atlanta. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. So I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm your host for the night. And you, if you are a loyal Iron Women podcast listener, you know that Haley Chura is my co-host, but she is on the other side of the mic tonight. So we'll be hearing plenty from her as well. We are joined by these three spectacular women. We have Ruth brennan Mori, who raced pro triathlon from 2013 to 2017. She's an Ironman 70.3 champion. She's shown us all that you can be faster after 40, and she will be racing after qualifying at the California International Marathon with a time of 2.43.49. A lot more to say about Ruth. Um, but these are just like their quick intros for now. We have Haley Chura. Haley Chura has been a pro triathlete since 2012. She's a multiple 70.3 champion, Ironman champion. In 2019, she was 26th in the world at 70.3 World Championships before she decided to train for the Olympic trials. Found her way here with a 243.19, a California International Marathon. <laughs> And we have Sarah Bishop. Sarah is in her rookie pro triathlon year. She, in 2019, was racing age group, took three age group wins at the 70.3 distance. In this last month, we have a lot to talk to Sarah about because she's been very busy. In the last month, she won the Mesa Phoenix Marathon in a time of 2.39. She then headed over to New Zealand where she was fifth at Challenge Wanaka, 70.3. And so now she's here. So, <laughs> welcome, Sarah. So we have a lot to talk to these women about tonight, but we do have a lot of people to thank for the fact that we are even here in the first place. So first, a huge thank you to our sponsors tonight. We have Wahoo, Gooder, Form Swim, Zelios, Runner, Orca, and Polar. 
They have all made this night possible, and we have a lot of fun goodies to give away from them. So we have a raffle at the end you definitely want to stick around for. Thank you to Dave from Big Peach Running Company for allowing this to be possible with good sound and recording. Um, if you come through Atlanta, definitely head to Big Peach Running Company. Thank you so much, Dave. We also have a Live Feisty Taylor. Um, you might recognize her from the Iron Women Live events and from doing that social. She'll be popping around, snapping pictures, and helping get all of this to the people who couldn't be here in Atlanta. So thanks, Taylor. A big, big thank you to Katherine Taylor because of Katherine. Katherine, where are you? This night is possible. So Katherine has been the driving force here in Atlanta making this happen. We could not say thank you enough. Thank you. The video of this live podcast will be on YouTube tomorrow. Great. So you can rewatch all the fun. Um, subscribe. So we are we have a new YouTube channel with Live Feisty. So hit subscribe on that, and you'll be able to watch this live tomorrow morning, along with downloading it on your favorite podcast app. So we are going to get this all out to people tomorrow. But you guys will are here seeing it first, and you'll get to relive all of that with everyone else tomorrow. Yes. And along with that, we have a fun contest that will be ongoing throughout the night. So we have a polar watch, gooder glasses, a ticker heart rate monitor, and form swim goggles. Those four prizes are going to go to people throughout the night who take a picture of things that are going on and go on Instagram and post that picture during the night here. Tag Iron Women Podcast. Let people know you're here that you're watching this live event, you get like a bonus point if you tag a sponsor as well. Um, so we're gonna be randomly selecting to give away those four prizes throughout things tonight. So really cool. So let people know that you're here. And we will have more of the raffle at the end. So again, stick around for that. All right, ladies. So just like in the marathon, we're gonna do a little warm up. And we're going to do some quick takes. So these are just going to be some kind of quick snippets that I was talking to people throughout the week, and they wanted some of the runners' perspectives on for this particular race. So you all can weigh in. And so first, we're going to talk about the start time of the race. So the uh, Olympic trials are on Saturday. This is Wednesday. The trials start at 12. You guys go off at 12 something, 12, a little after 12, 1220. Um, so people want to know, how did that affect, did it affect your training? Did you do any training at different time during the day? Anything like that? This is a, this is a free for all. Can you I can start? just, yep. You can just um, chime in. So I'm pretty pumped because I'm coming from mountain time. So it means less jet lag. I'm not worried about getting up at like a three handle and which is actually like a one handle for, uh, if I was in mountain time. So I'm pumped. And yes, I did give myself a, a like permission to sleep in over the last like three months because I'm like. You don't need to be at your best at 7 a.m. for once. I think I have, um, I usually kind of delay my long run on Sundays till after church. And so that's always kind of my thing anyway, to be able to um, run at around 11 or 12. So it'll work to my advantage, I think. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be just fine. Um, they usually start the races uh, later for spectator support. Um, and luckily, it's going to be really nice weather, 48, 50. It might be a little bit windy, but for the most part, that's pretty ideal conditions. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to work out great for the runners and the fans. I'm an early bird. I would struggle with the, <laughs> the noon, but this is, this is why you guys are here. Um, so the big field. So I read that there are 511 women racing or on the start list or who have qualified to be here. So how do you feel about the big numbers? Like this is going to be, you know, it's very different from triathlon where our fields are usually like 20 or less for most, most races. Um, you obviously had to run a larger marathon to qualify to be here, but have you kind of come to terms more with the, the larger field size and like thought about that much in your training? Uh, I personally have not thought about the bigger field size just because my how I'm thinking about it is there's going to be 10% of those 500 who are contending for the for the Tokyo Games I mean and then the rest of us it's like one big team and it's kind of you know we're all running together and uh, we all want to see each other succeed um, but I think the majority of the runners will just be I want to give it my all on this day with whatever hiccups or little tweaks I've had in, in the build up to it. But we all just, I feel like we all just want each other to, to succeed and um, giving the best shot that we can is just more personally kind of gratifying. I don't think there's going to be any big kind of, um, com I think there's going to be competitiveness just with ourselves, especially with what the course will give us on, on Saturday. I'm super pumped. I probably wouldn't have tried to qualify. I think if that hadn't been so many women qualifying, and I did qualify kind of late in the game, but um, I think it was so many women qualifying from all over the country with these amazing stories. It created this hype over the last couple of years, and that was what got me to kind of step away from my normal triathlon circuit racing and think it was something I really wanted to do. So I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, I think we're all used to running um, marathons which, with much bigger fields than 700 men and women. So I think the more, the better. Uh, I think it'll put us all at ease. Um, you know, it'll feel more like a, a race environment that we're used to. Um, you know, I also like the looped course. You know, we're all, we'll all be running. There'll be a lot more people to run together with. Uh, I think it's... Um, Great in so many ways, uh, but especially just more of a race environment, in my opinion. That sets me up perfectly for the next one with the looped course and the hills. So this course has 1,389 feet of gain through the three looped 26.2 miles. So was there anything you did specific to focus more on hill running ability? Did you do any special workouts that you liked or really hated that were spectacular <laughs> failures, anything of the above? Like, are you ready to tackle the hills on Saturday? Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> um, you know what, my strategy a little bit, um, you know, getting into triathlon last year, I feel like really helped my quad strength more than I imagined it would. Um, and uh, as a, uh, it helped my power during running. So I decided to continue, you know, four hours of biking a week um, to supplement my running training, um, knowing that the course would be so hilly. Um, and then the other part of my strategy was I ran the 3M half marathon, which is a downhill course. And also Phoenix has quite a bit of downhill the first four or five miles. 
Um, and it's never really the uphills that get people, it's the downhills. If you think of Boston, they have, Boston has that big downhill, you know, the first four or five miles, and it's, it's because everybody's so beat up from the downhill that the last six miles are just torture because your quads are ripped to shreds. So uh, I think both those races, um, you know, preparing on the downhills and also um, adding some cycling, uh, I'm hoping will pay dividends. <laughs> I think I was, I was lucky enough to come to Atlanta about a month ago and run a loop of the course. And it, it, it shocked me a little. I lived here for 10 years after college and I knew Atlanta was hilly, but I was like, oh man, these are some hills. So I didn't actually change my training. I live in Montana. I run a lot of hills anyway, but I stopped feeling so sorry for myself when I was running in the snow and running uphill. And I was like, this is gonna get you ready for those hills in Atlanta. So that's, and I'm, I'm pumped about a multi-loop course because someone can like stand in one spot and cheer for me six times. So you have no excuses. Yeah, logistically it makes this a lot more um, uh, friendly for my family and then a lot more friendly for my husband who's a, kind of an insane spectator who breaks all traffic laws trying to find me in like 10 different spots during the race and he at the end of races he's usually more dehydrated than I am. So this will be very good for him to just stay in one spot with my kids and more safe. But um, building, building up to this, uh, about six weeks, six or seven weeks out, I had a really good um, hill workout. And to, I don't know, I'm not really good with numbers. So when some, when I found out that the that the course was 1,400 feet, I was like, so what does that really mean? What is 1,400 feet over time? And so I went out and I did a, a good hill workout. And at the end of it, I'm like, gosh, I'm really tired. And I'm like. That was only 600 feet <laughs> of climbing. What? And so I texted Haley and I said, what's going on? The, the course is really that hilly. And she said, no, I don't think it's really that hilly. <laughs> it's, that was before I came here. <laughs> that was, before. I was like, my memory of it, Lana, I, was I, just flat. Yeah. So she's like, I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. Um, but then I think a couple weeks later after that, um, I did something to my knee and so I had to be super cautious with my hill training. So I'm coming into this race um, with minimal hill training the last six or seven weeks um, and uh, kind of hoping for the best. <laughs> so. If you guys are like me, you've been following everything online, all the articles, all of the, all of the everything. And so I actually spent time today reading about the hydration strategy that they are implementing for this. And this was fascinating to me. It was also fascinating. I found an entire article about it. So I wanted to ask you guys, like, are you using, you guys are allowed six of your own bottles that will appear on tables every four miles through the course. So are you using these? You can give a shout out to your nutrition and hydration if you want to, let people know what you're using. Um, did you just forego that? Because it sounds like it could be a little chaotic. Um, to use the actual Encore stuff, what are you doing for that? I am using um, what's been used for a long period of time, and that's uh, water. <laughs> so um, I'm, count I'm banking on water to help me throughout the race, and I feel like I'm gonna be able to have my own water table. Like, <laughs> there are 60 different cups. You can choose whichever cup you want. No, so I am not using my own, my own bottle. I, my stomach tolerates things pretty well, so give me Gatorade, Powerade, Noon, whatever it is. And I do pretty well with, with whatever. I've really never had any GI issues. So um, I'm sticking with my own personal water table. <laughs> 
I'm gonna sound like the super high maintenance one up here because yes, I'm definitely using the personal fluids and I did spend some time today decorating my bottles with neon duct tape to match my nails as well as um, some pipe cleaners. And then I went outside and I took photos of them because I like to be a good Instagrammer. And then someone asked me, was walking by and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just taking photos of my water bottles. So yes, I'm definitely doing it. I, I'm super excited because I'm at table 23 and position seven and my birthday is July 23rd. So it's just like meant to be. And so, and I also, I am sponsored by Noon Hydration and so I've been putting Noon Endurance in three of them and also Coca-Cola in three of them because Coke makes me happy. And so does Noon Hydration, but, um, and I also just really like sugar. <laughs> Okay, so I took one look at the engineered design layout that Atlanta Track Hub put together of all the bottles and tables, and I said, I am hell no, <laughs> I'm not going to deal with this. No, I just ran the Mesa Marathon without fluids. I just drank water. I'm going to be sharing the water table with Ruth. I'm sorry, Ruth. We're going to have to share, okay? <laughs> just not even going to try. Okay, so now we're going to get into some of the good stuff. So thank you for humoring me with some of the nitty-gritty of what will be out there on Saturday. Um, Haley, I'm going to start with you because, well, you're usually with me every week on the Iron <laughs> podcast. So I, I knew my questions for Haley immediately. Um, and one of them, so for those of you who may not know, Haley actually, this will be her third appearance at an Olympic trials. So Haley swam in the 2004 and 2008 Olympic trials. Um, and that was backstroke for both of those, right? Yes. Yeah. So quite different than running a marathon, I guess. Um, and if my memory serves me correctly, 2008 was the year that in swimming there was Michael Phelps, I believe was wearing like the full suit at that time. So this is like very layman's terms of the controversy that was going on at that time. So I remember this time in 2008 ish where there was controversy over like swimsuits and what was allowed to be worn and things like that. So if you have been following all the hype, you know that the, there's no like shortage of controversy this year with shoes, right? Out on the marathon course. So for Haley, um, I would love it if you could talk a little bit about that time. Like, am I right? Was there a thing going on with swimsuits in 2008? And then I'd love to hear your take on the shoe controversy for this year. I do think I'm a very unique person in that I have worn the suits and the shoes. <laughs> so um, I'll go back a little bit. So in 2004, they actually had come out with the full body suits. Those were allowed. They were legal all the way down to your ankles, all the way to your wrists if you want. And I think the technology has shown since then that that, that is faster. It's faster to have like suit on you versus your skin. And I, in 2004, I was 18 years old and I was like, I am old school. I want as little clothing on me as possible. And like, I wore just a regular swimsuit, like wouldn't wear the leg suit, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't mess with that. I got ninth by two one hundredths of a second. And if you follow swimming, it's, it goes prelims, semifinals, and finals. So I was probably like, and so top eight, or top 16 make semifinals, top eight make finals. So I missed finals by two one hundredths of a second. And looking back, I kind of, I mean, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. There are probably other things I did more wrong, but if I, maybe if I had those two one hundredths of a second, I could have swam in finals. And we're not saying I would have made the Olympic team, but it just having that finals experience, I kind of wish I had it. So fast forward to 2008, I was in a very, very different place in life. And I was working at an accounting firm here in Atlanta. And 
I, I did wear the suit. So this time they have not only just full leg suits, but they put neoprene panels. And most of you are triathletes, so you know neoprene, it does, it does help. So it wasn't as controversial, I think, at that point in 2008. It was pretty new. Um, and everyone, it was like, you wear it. Like it wasn't even, I didn't even actually have to buy the suit. They rented me one, I think, um, to wear. And I didn't think it would be that different because at that point I had worn a leg suit. I'd worn, you know, other suits that didn't have neoprene, but I remember jumping into warm up and I was like, oh wow, this is different. So I fall, I retired from swimming after that race. That was like my last race. And I, um, I followed a little bit of the controversy and how they, they ended up eventually banning those suits. So they, you're not allowed to have neoprene. And, and what did happen was the suit I wore had neoprene panels. Then all of a sudden you have full neoprene suits. Then you have athletes wearing two neoprene suits <laughs> at a time. And so it was getting out of control. So you kind of understand why that, why those rules were put in place. So they, um, you know, they, they had the suits, they put these rules in place. Now you can't wear suits that are, they're all textile and they only go down to your knees and I believe not only on your shoulders. So they put these rules in place. So this shoe controversy does get compared to the suit controversy quite a bit. Am I wearing the Nike shoes? Yes. Personally, when I take a look at that, I am like, this is not my position to decide whether or not this is legal. Like their world athletics puts the rules out there. It is not a secret that I'm wearing them. They're neon, like you can tell. <laughs> and I also, I do appreciate that the barrier to entry, they're $250. Yes, that's a lot for a pair of shoes, but it is not an insurmountable barrier to entry. And, and I don't have a shoe sponsor, so there's no conflict <laughs> for me. So if the rules change, I won't wear them, but as long as they are, they are allowed, I will wear them. Ruth or Sarah, you could weigh in on shoes if you have an opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with Haley. As long, you know, the, uh, the technology has just continued to change. Um, and we're all, you know, continuing to um, wear uh, the latest and greatest. And as long as they're available and legal to all, like Haley said, that's really not our place to decide, you know, whether they, we should wear them or not. I feel like if we don't wear them, we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage. Um, so, you know, just like Haley's example of not wearing the, the long swimsuit you know, back in 2008. Um, so, sure, should there be uh, guidelines and rules? Yes, and they're coming. But at this point, um, if they're legal and available to all, I, I just feel like um, to not wear them, you're just you're simply putting yourself at a disadvantage to the, to the rest of the field. Yeah, I feel like I... I have gone back and forth in my head about this um, controversy, and I think what it depends on where I am um, on either side of kind of the the um, the spirit of the shoe depends on my mood on any given day. Like it really, it I can I can argue adamantly for both sides of this shoe controversy, and it's really I feel like it's been hard for me to. Um, to really uh, choose one way or the other, because of um, because of kind of what's on the line if I do and what's on the line if I don't. Like I ran the trials in 2000, and do does my 248 in 2000? Can I even compare my 243 to my past 248? So I feel like it's uh, it's um, kind of a an internal struggle that I have, but 
I still have my shoes from 2000 and I wouldn't want to wear those shoes. Those shoes today, they shredded my legs for eight weeks afterwards. So of course, innovation is a very good thing and it's a positive thing. And if I can recover in two weeks rather than eight weeks, yes, I'm all for it. Um, I think that, that um, yeah, there just has to be regulations that are standardized and um, I, th I think that shoe companies are making sure that they are staying, that they're being competitive with others and that's, that's also a very good thing. But yeah, I can kind of argue on both sides of the shoe debate. Well, thanks for weighing in. And <laughs> um, that's all we're going to talk about with the shoes, for sure. But Ruth, you did mention how you um, ran the trials 20 years ago. So that's also a very, very unique thing to be back here 20 years later. And if we all think about like our own lives, let alone the running culture that was 20 years ago, it was very, very different. So you have gotten to see firsthand as a runner 20 years ago, and then now how distance running, running in general, has really exploded through the nation, let alone for women. And so as I started my career and I've been thinking about it, you know, that explosion of women in athletics has really kind of brought to light the saying of if you see it, you can be it. And for me, with my career, it's been really important to have people ahead of me that I could see and that were planting those seeds that I believe that I could be that too. For Ruth, you've gotten to kind of be the scene through the whole thing. And so I'm curious to hear your perspective on that and how you feel about just where we are with women's sports now. And then maybe, it, like, is there any added pressure with your career to be kind of having helped us through it? Um. So that's multiple, it's a multiple question. Multiple, yeah, point, multiple point points question. though for your answer. So uh, just to put into little context of in the year, the year 2000, I was just coming off of um, my NCAA eligibility in the sport of soccer. So I played, I played soccer in college at Wisconsin, go Badgers. And, um, and so when I qualified for the trials in 1999, it was just by random mistake. I didn't know what the trials was. My goal for the 1999 race was to just break three hours in the marathon. And, um, and then uh, the day before the race, I told my brother, who was kind of my running coach at the time, who just put my plan together basically, that, you know what, I don't even want to break three hours. I just want to run free and just have fun and just see what happens. So then during that race, um, at mile 10, he was running with me and he said, Ruth, do you realize that if you keep up this, this pace that you could qualify for the Olympic trials? And I was like, the what? Like, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that was. Oh, and then in mile 16, did you realize that you just passed the number one Minnesota runner? And, and, you know, and I said, no, who is that? Deb Gormley, you just passed Deb Gormley. So I was completely oblivious. I was a soccer player who liked to run. I was not following the run distance running scene whatsoever. Um, and so it was, it was a different mindset. So at that point when I qualified, there were other women who, um, who did 
uh, intend to qualify and, you know, really embraced me into their running culture immediately. And I was all of a sudden a part of a team, a part of a running team. And I was no longer a, a soccer player anymore. And so it was a weird, like, identity issue, like, who am I? What's going on? Then I, then I ran, and there were only 210 qualifiers in 2000. And there wasn't social media back then. <laughs> and so nobody knew who was who. Like, I figured out, you know, the who's and the who's probably uh, uh, two days before the race. Looking them up in the phone book? Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I didn't know who these big runners were, but I was intimidated as all get out when I saw them on the start line and I saw how thin they were, and I saw just um, that they knew what they were doing, and I was still this soccer player who just liked to run. So anyway, um, I, um, I have kind of seen, f I, I then, after I ran in the trials, I took 10 years off because I wasn't quite mature enough to really take on what, what a distance running um, developmental trajectory should look like. I just wasn't mature in my mindset and in my purpose and in my um, um, kind of just um, my foundation for what what I thought, how I knew, I how I, I didn't know how to grow in distance running, nor did I kind of care really. So I had no purpose. And then when I came back, it was, it wasn't until, you know, I had this professional triathlon career for six years and then um, decided after that, I can't sustain um, the energy and time that it takes to be a professional triathlete. So I said, let me go back to running. I love running, that's my big thing. And so let's try to do that. So two years ago, I, I changed. Um, but so seeing, now seeing the sport evolve to the extent that it has, is, has been miraculous, has been amazing to see. So it's not only, oh, there are the elites, it's like women have now um, internalized their own internal drive for doing what they think is really going to satisfy this hunger and this um, and this uh, kind of um, this mentality that yeah, if these other runners can do it with a with staying balanced in their life and a family, then I can do it too. So this whole contagion effect of women feeding off of each other has been a, an amazing thing to watch unfold. It's just been incredible, and I think especially the last four years, now that the media has really just, they've, they've, they don't even look at the top runner stories. Of course we have the, um, the top runner stories, but the fact that the media finds interest in the personal stories of average runners like me, um, then that just, you know, is, is an impactful thing for more runners to be able to go for those goals. So it's really been phenomenal to be able to see that, that growth. And um, it's a real kind of uh, empowerment type thing for all runners. Is Friday the New York Times Friday? Is that when it comes out? I Roost so. in the New York Times. I know, She's going to be on the New York Times. I didn't know if we could say it. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> I think we, yeah. It doesn't come out till tomorrow. They yeah. came to my house and, um, the other day. And uh, so, yeah, my kids are really excited about that. But yeah, watch I'm out. I'm excited too. I know. I'll be like, yeah. I'll pretend to be your kid. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, you had to know we would be coming back to this. So just to recap, in case you've forgotten what I said about the Sarah's last month, 
Um, in the last month, she won a marathon in two hours and 39 minutes. She traveled across the world to New Zealand to be fifth at Challenge Wanaka. And then she traveled back, luckily, to be here with us tonight and to also run on Saturday. So you have a lot of women in the crowd and men who are probably like, please tell us how you do it. Because I would also like to add to that list of accomplishments that Sarah also has four children, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and six-year-old twins. So I, I do have an actual question for you. <laughs> Other than just how do you do it all, and it's a three-pronged, multiple, multiple choice question as well, kind of. Um, so the first part is recovery. So clearly you're doing, recovery has to be at least at the very forefront of your mind. So what are you doing there when you have a month like this um, and to make it all work? Please tell us. <laughs> um, okay, I'll just give, give like a three-minute history of, of me real fast. So I was a a uh, collegiate runner, 800-meter um, runner, and um, after college, um, I ran cross-country in college, but I wasn't very good. Um, I took like seven, eight years off, and I had four kids, um, and I just didn't run anymore. I mean, I ran here and there, but I was a you know, track runner in college, and I just found myself in 2014 with four kids under four years old. I was working full-time, dropping my kids off at 6 a.m. and picking them up at 6 p.m., and I was just stressed and exhausted, and I had everything I wanted except myself. And so I decided I need to start running again. And I think it's important to talk about this first before we talk about everything that I've done. Because when I started running again, I told myself, if I'm never as good as I used to be, that has to be okay. You know, I'm in a different place in my life. I have four kids. But it was just the process of improvement over time and doing something for myself to keep me sane, to make me a better mother and wife that was so rewarding. And so I just set a goal to run a half marathon. I had run 130 a long, long time ago. Maybe I could break that. And I remember two months you know, into 2014, I ran 130. And I didn't quite break it. And I walked at the water stations. But I felt so good about myself because I had trained towards a goal. And I almost did it. you know. And it was for me. you know. Um, and so after that, I ran a marathon. And I ran 252. And then I qualified for the trials. And then. Um, a few years, uh, you know, the next year I was fourth at the Marine Corps Marathon in 2016. Then I went back and I won the Marine Corps Marathon in 2.45.07 uh, in 2017, and then I qualified for the trials after that. Um, and that's kind of when my story blew up a little bit. Like, you know, when I crossed the line of the Marine Corps Marathon, they were shouting, this woman has four kids. This woman, and, I, <laughs> and I just was like, it was bizarre to me because everyone, you know, they were talking to me after the race, all these reporters, and they wanted to know, where were my kids? Like, well, they're with my husband. Like, honestly, like, I felt like I had done something wrong. Like, am I allowed to train with four, having four kids, you know? Because it was, just didn't occur to me that it was so uncommon at that point. But, um, you know, um, so, so basically, you know, I just built, to get back to your question about recovery, I've just built up, you know, over a matter of years of, you know, training. I, you know, it never started like racing every weekend or, um, you know, running marathons. I just started, you know, running three miles a day, four miles a day. And over the past five years, it's just snowballed into racing more. Um, frequently and running more marathons and then getting into triathlon um, last year and so my body has just I feel like just 
become accustomed to the workload that I'm doing that um, I'm able to recover at this point because I'm because it's just been used to it over a period of years. Um, so, you know, I, I did run the Mesa Marathon three weeks ago. <laughs> and so, okay, so, so I turned to triathlon last year and then I started training for the trials specifically in, in December. And um, I had the, you know, I was kind of looking to do one triathlon before the trials. And I was going to go to Chile and do um, the Ironman 70.3 down there. I forgot which one it was. But because of all the civil unrest, they canceled that. So I saw the challenge, Wanaka, you know, one was two weeks before the trials. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to go. <laughs> I felt like I had worked for three years to achieve the goal of running in the trials and that this is my victory lap. So to me, like this was icing on the cake and I wasn't gonna pass up an opportunity to you know, continue my triathlon career um, you know, and go to <laughs> New Zealand even if it was two weeks before the trials. So when that happened, I had decided I was going to run the Phoenix Half Marathon the weekend before that, but I thought, I need a long run. Like I need a 20 plus mile long run a few weeks out. So I said, okay, I'm just going to run the marathon. And I thought, when it gets to that point, I'll figure out if I'm going to drop out or if I'm going to do, you know, you know, start at seven-minute pace and work my way down. It just was going to depend what kind of shape I was in at the time. And so a few, but it turned out a couple weeks before I was able to do like 20 miles at 6.08 pace. And I thought, if I can do that in this weekend in training, I can do it for 26 miles at Phoenix Marathon, I think. <laughs> So I just had nothing to lose, you know. I was dead set that I was going to run this marathon, and I was not going to fly out to Phoenix and not finish, you know. So I did that, and because, like, I had done 20 miles at that practically the same pace a couple weekends ago, I, I knew I would recover because I had built up to that. And it's not typical that we do 20 miles at marathon pace in training, but if you've built up to it and, you, you know, your body can recover from it because you've done it a couple of times. Um, so, I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I feel like I've just, you know, when you just build up to a certain amount of training, your body can just, uh, you know, gets used to what it's doing and, um, and recover. I don't have any tricks. <laughs> Lucky charms for my kid's cereal. <laughs> well, people who know me know that I like to race a lot and race often, but I think you might be actually like next level special there. <laughs> yes. So congratulations on that. Next time someone says something to me, I'll be like, you should meet my friend Sarah Bishop. Um, the second part of that though is for balance, right? Like where there has to be a give and take, especially having young children, um, you know, where does that kind of tipping point lie for you with the, the racing and the, the family life? Yeah. So this was a big thing for me when I was starting to train for the trials, I was working full time and I would run on my lunch break, but there was definitely days where, um, I needed to run after work because I couldn't, you know, make it on my lunch break and things like that. And the mom guilt is real, you know, but it comes from us. I know my kids, if I went out for a run, they probably wouldn't even notice, <laughs> you know. And I always used to go back to thinking, would my husband feel guilty? Like, I honestly use that. Would my husband feel guilty if he just went for a bike ride after work? Because my husband likes to, to ride to cycle and stuff. And he would never feel guilty, you know. This is like a cultural thing. Thing that we put on ourselves, that our culture kind of puts on ourselves, that women are one-faceted, you know? If, um, if mothers are working outside the home, that kind of raises an eyebrow. And then if mothers are working outside the home and then are 
training and going after individual goals, that's like, what? You know, so a lot of this mom guilt does come from our culture and it comes from within and I really had to kind of get over that. Like, you know, this is okay. I had to tell myself, if I'm going out for a run, you know, an hour after dinner, the kids are playing, like this has to be okay. But it was my priority to get my run in. Come hell or high water, the day was over, I was gonna get that run in if it was 10 o'clock at night. It was just important enough to me and this goal of training for the trials was important enough that um, I was gonna get it done. And I feel like we always have time for our priorities no matter what. Um, but that said, your balance has, is, is, is yours. So if it's okay with you and your family, it doesn't matter if somebody else is looking at your balance and going, that's not right, you know, like you need to be at home with your kids. It has to be, it just has to be okay with, with you. So I did run on my lunch break a lot. I tried to get up in the mornings, but there was definitely days where that didn't happen and I still went out after dinner <laughs> and we all lived. <laughs> my kids were okay with it. And my husband and I just traded off. There was times when my husband traveled um, one week a month, or sorry, sorry, one week every other, sorry, every other week for a year. So it was like he was gone a week and then he was here a week. He was gone a week, he was here, here. And I just hired a babysitter, you know, for my weekend runs and I ran during lunch so I could, you know, I could still train. Um, but I just found a way and I had to decide to myself that this was okay, this was important to me. And, um, you know, my kids, they just wanna see me happy. They don't care. The mom guilt is coming from, from me. Haley, is it hard to not be alternating questions with me this week? Do you miss it? Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm feeling, I, I don't know how to do with this balance thing because I'm like, I struggle being a step dog mom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess it's okay to feel like step dog mom guilt as well. I got to work on that. I'm very, very impressed with the two moms on either side of me. So if you go on the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials website, you can find the profiles for these women. And in that, it gives you a little bit of information. And they also gave like mantras or quotes that were um, meaningful to them, I'm assuming, or special. And so I picked them out and I just wanted them to tell us a little bit more if there is a backstory there or kind of what that meant to them. So Haley, you're up first. And do you remember your quote? I do. Okay, you can tell. <laughs> I actually did put some thought into it. Yeah. So my quote, the quote I put up there was find a way, which is something that my coach, Matthew Rose and Dino Multisport, I think he said it to me probably in, probably before my first time racing Kona, or maybe when I was trying to qualify for Kona, like in 2009. I was 23 years old and I'm just very, very fortunate that Matthew came into my life at that point. Uh, because it just, it did, it totally changed the trajectory of my life. And I think it was just like, find a way, like find a way to make this work, find a way to, to fight when you don't feel good because the results usually are worth it. And yes, the results aren't, are, can be a certain place, but they also could be just what you learn along the way. And, and that's something that I, I rem try to remind myself now, 11 years later, of, you know, of that 23-year-old girl who was pretty fearless in, in the goals that I set and what I went after. And, and I look back and I was like, you should not have spent your money that way. <laughs> but, you know, it worked out all right. And, and I've had a lot of really good experiences. So I do give a lot of credit to the 
Dynamo multi-sport team here in Atlanta, and, and I think that is kind of a team motto, and um, I'm really excited to be back here for this race and getting to see so many people out on course, and it is, that is why, also why I wear green and yellow. You didn't ask for that tidbit, but there you go. <laughs> Ruth, do you remember your quote, or would you like me um, to tell the crowd? No, it was, uh, courage is fear hanging on for one more minute. Um, and that comes from George Patton, General George Patton, and, and um, I love his quotes. But um, the other one that I, courage is a big thing for me. I think um, if, a big thing for me personally, but also the, w the um, importance of instilling courage in my kids. Um, and seeing their courage in various things that they do is probably the most satisfying things as, thing as a parent that I could never have anticipated just brings me to tears every time I see it. I have, I'm a sport girl all my life and I have theater kids, you guys. Um, <laughs> it is really wild. I mean, my youngest one probably has we have the most hope for him as a sport kid, but the other ones are theater kids and they just get up on stage and they are fearless and they have so much courage and it's just the most wonderful um, way to develop um, as as they as they develop to see that happen, it's really miraculous to see the type of confidence and growth that, um, through theater and the arts. But um, but I also the other mantra that I use quite a bit in this training cycle has been stay here. So stay here. Just kind of um, I'm big into mindfulness training. Um, I'm a psychologist, so I teach mindfulness, and so stay here is my two-word mantra that's easy, that helps me um, think about just being able to savor the moment. And when things get rough, still, sport is so cool that you get to be, be uncomfortable in your own skin. So staying there just makes you feel what, that, what sport is all about. And that is a super special thing um, that, we can, that we can feel in our bodies. Um, but also kind of a command for myself to be able to stay on pace, be able to stay with pacers, be able to just um, um, be able to monitor my respiration, my muscular tension, and um, really uh, not go to the finish line. Oh, that'll be great when I get there. It's like, no, it's not here, and it wasn't back there either. But really staying here is, um, is really helpful to just be able to savor everything that that sport throws my way. I'm really glad you asked this. <laughs> so mine is, um, there's no prerequisite for success. And actually my coach said it first, but then Matt Chittum from the Rambling Runner kind of stole it <laughs> and he put it on a cup. But this is, abs there's no prerequisite for success is absolutely why there's such a boom in women's running right now. Because they're looking at all these other women that are running VQs, sub threes, OTQs, and going, wow, she's not that much different than me. You know, because we all tend to underestimate what we can do. We all have these limits on ourselves. Like, oh, I could never do that because I don't look that way. I don't train like that. I don't have that time. I'm not that person. But these, but what we don't realize is that everybody who's doing these things really aren't that much different than us. And so, you know, I have a lot of runner. I coach now, and people have asked me, "Do you have runners that come to you and say they want they have these astronomical goals that they'll never achieve?" I'm like, no. Nobody, everybody underestimates what they can do. Um, nobody really believes that they can be 
as good as they can be. And so 99% of the time, my runners come to me and they're like, oh, I, maybe I can run five minutes faster. I'm like, you can run 25 minutes faster. I can tell by your easy pace, you know? And so it, it really is amazing what you can do when you kind of see what other people are doing that are like you or when somebody tells you, no, you really can, you know? Like, you really can do that. Um, so that's why. That's my quote. I love it. And I definitely wanted to leave time to have questions from, usually it would be our mailbag, but we have our mailbag in-house tonight, which is excellent. So if you have a question, I have a really long cord that can go out, actually. So who wants to do it? Who wants to break the ice? Ooh, we have a lot. Uh, I'm Jessica Rudd. All right. Hi. Thanks for being here. Um, so my question is, um, compared to when you're doing a triathlon and the run, especially in an ir a full Ironman, and the <coughs> marathon comes at the end, so you have to pace and kind of your effort really takes into account like all three pieces of the uh, Ironman. How do you kind of switch your gears when you're quote unquote? just running marathon and gauge like what your effort should be for that kind of single race. Great question. I can take this one. Okay, so first of all, when you come off the bike in a, in a Ironman, I don't think there's anyone in this room who would say you feel good. You feel terrible. You feel like death. You feel like you're like, oh my goodness, what am I doing to myself? What I, there's like the idea of running 26.2 miles is not even in my brain at that point. And there's no part of me that's worried about pacing. There's no part, I'm just like, please stay upright, keep moving. And then it usually gets better. But, so a marathon's completely different because in the first mile, I, I mean, I haven't done that many marathons, but the one I just did, um, it was like mentally stressful in pacing myself and not going too hard. That is, again, not something I ever worry about in either a 70.3, in an Ironman, in a sprint triathlon. I, again, you usually feel pretty bad. And so more, it was, it was more mentally stressful. I think running a, a standalone marathon, I found it very mentally stressful, like the pacing part of it. When I'm racing pro in an Ironman, I'm 100% certain that I'm going to blow up. I just need to make get enough food in me, enough alcohol, you know, or not alcohol. <laughs> I usually would like some at certain, there have definitely been some races where I did want some. But it's like get enough hydration, um, noon hydration in me, and like definitely like just keep myself going. Like how am I gonna keep myself going? And in, and sometimes it's like, can I finish? Uh, and that, I didn't actually have that kind of stress when I ran a marathon. I was fairly, pretty, pretty um, confident that I would finish the race and that I was going to have plenty of fuel, that I was, you know, the, the duration of racing was so much shorter. So it was more about managing the speed versus like managing intense pain, which Sarah's about to do in Ironman. Does that make you excited about that? <laughs> Got me pumped up. Is it in two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> you can answer. Oh, uh, I have not done an Ironman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yet, yet. She's doing yeah. Texas, y'all. 
Am I allowed to say that? Sure. <laughs> I'm throwing out everyone's secrets here. Okay. <laughs> we had another, I saw another question from back, yep. You have to come to right here. <laughs> say your name. I'm Edie. <laughs> uh, this is hopefully a simple one, but I want to know, like, what's your pump-up jam? Like, when you're getting ready um, in the morning, or like, when you're getting dark on the race course, and there's just something that comes in your mind, like, what is it? Because I'm going to put on my playlist. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely like Rachel Platten's fight song. I love that song. I do a lot of Taylor Swift. Um, Shake It Off is usually my favorite. And then recently, like, a lot of Lizzo, I think, is, is a, that's a good pump-up music as well. Uh, I really like, lately, um, I have liked Brighter Than the Sun. What's her name? Um, yes, what was it? Colby Collette. Colby Collette, yes. And then also, so my son was just in the, um, the musical Newsies, and it is a phenomenal musical. I love it, and so there's a lot of songs. I just love to just sing, and then I think of, of him, and um, yeah, that's super motivating. Now we're all going to think of Ruth's son. We're going to like put that on our playlist. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ruth's son. Another question? Hi, Christy Wynn with Runner. Um, so when you guys are training, are you typically running solo? Are you running with your coach and holding on for dear life? Are you socializing and gabbing? What do you guys do? What keeps you motivated to, to keep hitting those paces? So I do all my training on my own right now. Um, when I lived in D.C. a couple years ago, my husband's military, so we move around. When I lived in D.C., I did a lot of my easy running um, with friends. But since moving to Ohio, um, uh, you know, I coach 60 runners, um, I have four kids, so I just, I need to just do my thing on my own time, and pretty much it's routine. It's just routine that keeps me going. I've been doing it so long, day in and day out. Are there days I don't want to go do, you know, a 20-mile long run or a two-hour bike ride? All the time, but it's more like I, I have these goals. Um, it's the routine and the discipline that keeps me motivated. Um, more than anything else, and you always feel better after it's done, right? Um, so, yeah. I usually train on my own. I live in Montana, and no one else really wants to run in the snow. So, um, and then it's scheduling kind of issue. Um, but I do think there's something to, to doing stuff on your own, and you're not really alone. Um, a couple of my athletes are actually here, and I guess technically, like, I should only be hearing about their workouts, but sometimes they hear about mine as well. So, um, you know, it kind of can go both ways. And, and that, you know, you have that community that isn't necessarily the running community of running right next to you, but it can be a community of text messages or Facebook messages or Instagram messages. And, and that, I mean, it's a, it can be a pretty strong community. Yeah. We have a, a very strong running community in my hometown of Rochester, Minnesota. Um, and, but everybody kind of, well, they do a lot of group runs together, but all of mine are, all of my runs are um, on my own, and um, I enjoy it that way. I, I really enjoy running on my own. That's like kind of my time to just um, relax and, uh, and just have fun, and then, um, and then I'll socialize after that, but I don't like running and talking. Like, I would love to run with people, but not have the expectation of talking during that. <laughs> like, that'd be great for me, but. Burning questions. I have, ooh, yeah. 
I'm Courtney. Have you guys dealt with the post big race blues and how do you get through that to continue to train for the next event? Uh, I would say yes, for sure. Um, and it was kind of interesting that I wasn't expecting this, but after I qualified for the trials in at, um, at California International Marathon in December, there I had a two-week break where I did minimal running, and then there was Christmas. And then as I was leading up, kind of gearing up, I was kind of like, kind of got to the point where it was such a huge high of qualifying and like such a, a pivotal like moment in my life. Like I set this huge goal and I achieved it. And then it was like, oh yeah, I have another marathon to run in a couple months. <laughs> oh yeah, that is my goal. Um, but there was that period where I kind of felt it wasn't like, like a guilt. It was more of a, why am I feeling this way? Kind of like a letdown that now it's over and now it's like, now it's just for the fun of this trials experience. Um, and so um, I kind of shifted my mentality in terms of what that means to me uh, personally, because it has to, I have to have purpose in, in that goal, even though it's not Tokyo. Um, and so, but I battled that a little bit of having that really high, high, and then coming down and realizing there's still a lot of work to do. And I've experienced that too with, with triathlons and other, and other races, that's completely normal. Yeah, so I have experienced this after really, really good races um, and really, really bad races. And I think the trick is to keeping you motivated um, is having, is continuing to have goals that really, really excite you. Because if your do goals don't excite you, it's going to be so much harder to get out the goal, the, the door to do the training at some point. Um, and I can tell you around this time last year, when I was training for the Boston Marathon, I had um, already qualified for the trials. I had done, all, I wasn't a triathlete yet. I had done all these things in running and I felt satisfied. And so I was training for Boston and it didn't, honestly did not excite me. I was going through the motions, but I wasn't performing well. I was actually running injured. And so when I actually did, you know, get a sacral stress fracture that led me to triathlon, it was kind of a relief because I knew like I was ready to change gears. I just didn't want to continue going on a path that didn't excite me, right? So that's when I went to triathlon because I knew it'd be new and I didn't know how I would do. Um, but I decided to set some goals that would excite me and it would just, you know, it was, it was refreshing to start over with something and make progress. Um, and so at, you know, I, so I set a goal of, um, you know, um, getting first or second in my age group to qualify for Worlds, you know, at the Chattanooga 7. And that excited me so much more than running in the elite field at, that in Boston because I just, it was new. Um, and then eventually the running bug came back. After the year of triathlon, I was like, okay, I'm ready to chase a PR in the marathon, which is a big motivator to why I ran Mesa because I thought I could run 239. <laughs> Barely did it. But um, the key after any race whether it's, um, you know, you're coming off this high or low, is to set a goal that you're super, super excited about. Because at some point, the training's gonna get really, really hard, and it's gonna be hard to get out the door. But if you're motivated and excited by that goal, you'll do it. I have nothing to add. They did a perfect job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a big week for you guys. So Haley, Ruth, Sarah, thank you so much.
Um, thank you guys, Atlanta, for coming to our first Iron Women podcast live event. And stick around. We're going to do the raffle next. Um, but a huge round of applause. Good luck. All the good feelings for these ladies. Yay! Um,